I'm excited to have this conversation to help raise up a generation that says, you know, we want something better. The last 40, 50 years since the sexual revolution, it hasn't been working. Yeah. If you are in your 20s hoping there is more to life than boys and McCarty, you are in the right place. Katie Ballmer has been a keynote speaker to over 60 colleges nationwide, encouraging 20-somethings to realize their worth, find their calling, and not date their bags. But seriously, Katie is an author, viral TikTok creator, wife, mom of two girls, and your adopted aunt that you never knew how bad you needed. Ready to have some real conversation tackling the hottest topics? This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Okay, I am talking with my friend Joanna Hyatt, and we've already been talking for like 10 minutes. I'm like, whoa, whoa, we got to hit record. We got to hit record. We're talking about so many good things. I am obsessed with you, Joanna. You're so much fun. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I mean, we won't tell your audience. We've probably already covered the best stuff in the 10 minutes yeah. we record, but we'll try We'll try to give them something, something useful. It is so fun yes. to be on this podcast. You're an absolute delight. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I feel the same about you. And listeners, put on your seatbelts. We're talking about sex because Joanna has some really good insights. I love what you're saying on the interwebs. I love what you're doing. I love the gentle, but truthful, but beautiful way you are approaching this subject. Are you going to tell them what the subject is? (laughs) A new position on sex, baby. Friends, friends. I like to talk about sex. I don't like to talk about how you're having sex. Like we don't cover positions. Uh, in so much detail as you might think. But I do like talking about how we can get a better, healthier, more holistic perspective on sex, which I'm just going to own it from the front. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I don't believe that you can have a healthy understanding of sex apart from God, apart from scripture, because everything else out there is just so one note because it it just, it's very one dimensional. And so I'm excited to have this conversation to help raise up a generation that says, you know, we want something better. The last 40, 50 years since the sexual revolution, it hasn't been working. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So talk about that. What happened 40, 50 years ago? I mean, I know know obviously a little bit about it, but I'm sure our listeners would love a little. So let's unpack it. Y'all ready? I love history, but we'll keep it short and we'll keep it fun. So in the 1960s, y'all have heard of the 1960s for various reasons, I'm sure. But one of the Uh, outcomes and and really kind of the seismic earthquakes that happened in the 1960s was the sexual revolution. Now, the sexual revolution uh, introduced this idea that you could have sex detached from connection, relationships, emotions, that was just physical. And it's not to say that people weren't having sex beforehand, you know, outside of marriage or with multiple partners, but it, it was not publicly uh, accepted and promoted. And and it was not something that was so wa- prevalent and widespread. And so in the 1960s, you see this whole generation, the free love movement, you know, the mm. idea of like, Woodstock, we, can, baby. we can sleep with whoever, and it'll be fine. The irony is that their definition of free love actually shackles you far more uh, than love with, with clear, healthy parameters. Mm-hmm. That's another conversation. So the 1960s, you see this shift away from uh, the promotion of sex happening within committed relationships like marriage. You see a shift away from the family as the center of society. And you see a separation of sex from its intended purposes. Interestingly enough, in the 1960s, you also had the introduction of the birth control pill. And that was big because suddenly women were told they could have sex like men. This was a big, big step in, in the, in the 1960s was to convince women that they could have sex like men in the sense that you could have sex without worry about physically what it would do to you. Pregnancy being the the primary one. And even emotionally, they just said like, look, as long as we can unshackle ourselves uh, from this inconvenient physical restraint of potentially getting pregnant, we'll just do it like men do it. We'll just have lots of partners and we can climb the corporate ladder and we don't have to have families. We can pick when we want to do all these things. It's going to be great. And unfortunately, uh, as we've seen now 50 something years later, it has not been so great. It, it has not led to happier women. It has not led to healthier relationships uh, because one of the big lies too was that somehow men aren't emotionally impacted by sex, but that's not true. You know, the, the, the data shows us, the science shows us men are impacted by sex 
uh, on an emotional level, physiological level. Women are impacted by sex. And so this great lie has permeated society that you can have sex like you play tennis. Like it's just, it's just exercise and you just swap your partners in and out. No big deal. Uh, and, and yet what you're seeing is a generation, a few generations um, that have increasing rates of divorce. Uh, abortion was legalized in 1973. So you see that, of course, spiking after that. And you have more anxiety. You have, you have people getting married later or not at all. And so it was supposed to free us has actually done the opposite. Oh, STD rates are on the rise. I mean, yes. it's a hot mess, thanks to the 1960s, yes. but all hope is not lost. Yes. Oh my gosh, no, this is so good and so helpful. And I think history is important. You know, if we don't learn history, we repeat it. And having that little, you know, walk down memory lane, I suppose, <laughs> is is important. And, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, you know, 2020, things are hard things have been hard for a long time. Like, like I, you know, my parents were in college around that time. And I think about like the sexual revolution, you know, it wasn't all wholesome those days either. It just wasn't on Snapchat, you know? So um, this, this, we live in a difficult time. Okay. So talk to me about then the conversations that are now are, are mm-hmm. people starting to wake up to, wow, this was a crap show. Like we need to educate or people still believe in the lies or we're somewhere in the middle probably. Well, you know, I kind of divide it into the world and the church. And as I define the church, um, I would say that that is both Catholics, Protestants, just in like the broader spectrum of people who follow the Bible, profess to be followers of Christ. And to back up briefly, you know, in response to the world kind of going this like, hey, anything goes, everything's fine. The church faith based community tried to go the other direction. And so you saw like in the 90s, I don't know about you, I, I grew up in the 90s with the whole purity culture and this idea of like true love waits. I'm really trying to emphasize that we wait to have sex until marriage. And, and while I believe the intentions were good, so often the messaging and the way that that was communicated was so hurtful because yeah. it was this idea where as the world said, sex is good, it doesn't have any impact, you're fine. The church kind of said sex is really bad and it's it's like one of the worst sins you can do. And if you have sex before marriage, like gross, gross, gross. Oh, but then you get married and it's a gift. And it's like rainbows and unicorns. And it's so confusing to say like bad, 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 great. Mm-hmm. And you've seen that then fall out in the marriages um, in the church of people saying for years, I told myself this was bad because the world said it's good. And now I'm married and I'm supposed to think it's good. And I don't, I don't know how to move beyond that. Yeah. It's that light switch. And so you, I I do think we are slowly kind of waking up to that realization uh, within the faith-based community that that didn't work. Now the world has doubled down. I would say they have said, you you know, despite the statistics, we have uh, 19 million new STD cases every year and Planned Parenthood in continues to get over half a billion dollars in funding in order to do sex education. And yet we don't see things improving. And the world just says, no, that's fine. We'll just keep doing the same thing. We're going to keep telling kids the same thing. And now, of course, we've seen a shift to not only can you have sex with whoever you want, you can change your gender when you need to, you can change the number of partners. And so the world has increasingly become chaotic in its approach to sexuality. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because yeah. when you have no standards of what is good and right and healthy and what is not, anything becomes acceptable, even if even if it's ultimately destructive. The church is finally saying, though, we need to present a better uh, sexual ethic that promotes what God has created to be a gift and yet equips people to to be able to do so in a way that is life-giving their whole life. It's not just a don't think about sex and then wake up one day and it's good. And that's that's been my passion for the last 10 years is this new position on sex. How do we stand in the tension uh, of being people who are souls in bodies? And how can we approach sex as both sacred and sensual? Yeah. Yes. Which does ruffle some feathers in the church. You said the word sensual and people are like, oh my word, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and you travel to churches and help educate parents primarily yeah. on how to have this conversation with their children. Yes. Which I love. And a lot of people listening perhaps never had that conversation with their parent. And, you know, and I think you agree with me. It's not, it's not, hey, honey, let me have this talk. 
there's an ongoing dialogue from is I mean, you know, however, middle school, however you want to, I don't know, the beginning until forever. Like it's not just a one-time conversation. It's an on long, ongoing dialogue. But what do you say? Well, let me, let me back up. If you are talking to someone who perhaps was never had a good conversation with their parents or maybe they did, but it wasn't very helpful. What would you say about what is sex? What is this new position on sex that you talk about? I would say it is a position that stands in the tension of saying this is a good thing. The act of sex between a husband and a wife is a good thing. It is a gift that has been given to both individuals. It's not just for men. It is for women as well. It's for women to be able to enjoy uh, pleasure, to be able to feel a connection in the same way it is for men. So that's one thing. I think a lot of times there's that misconception of, well, sex is for men and women are just kind of there. Uh, to to help facilitate it. And and this is, first of all, it's actually a mutual experience. Um, if both parties are not experiencing it well within marriage, then it's not working. And, yeah. and so first understanding this is a giving of each other, mutual giving. And then also um, being able to say that it's probably so much more than you have grown up thinking sex is. So often we think sex is just about intercourse, right? I'm going to say penis and vagina. That's what we often think. But but it's really more than that because if it was just a physical thing, uh, then you could change out partners and it wouldn't it wouldn't be that big a deal. And yet we know that emotionally there's a lot going on because you're not just physically undressing, you are in many ways bearing your soul to that other person yeah. and inviting that person in uh, to to the innermost parts of your heart. Because how easily could we be rejected, right? I mean, I think as, as as a woman, we all know the parts of our body we don't like and that we have to come to love. And so when we get physically and emotionally naked with someone, we're really hoping, please don't see the things that I don't like. Please see them be- as beautiful where I mm-hmm. see flaws. And and that's a definition and an understanding of sex that, that we don't talk about. And yet God, I believe, designed it to be this this vulnerable, uh, but also strengthening uh, dynamic in a relationship. And then there's the physiological, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to me, the brain connection that happens. And, and I believe that that is intentional, that we are designed to physically connect, emotionally connect, and with your brain connect to another person. And so sex is probably so much more, so much more multifaceted than you've considered uh, it to be. And, and that can be exciting. Yeah, I heard. Um, oh, his name John Mark Comer. Have, he's a, out yes. there on your yeah, mm-hmm. and he's on Seattle. Um, he Portland, Portland. Okay, he did a video that really stood out to me, and it was talking about uh, essentially what you're saying that w- we have cheapened and mm-hmm. lessened our view of sex, and now it's no big deal. It doesn't matter, but instead we need to elevate it. Um, th- one thing I learned from that speech is you're talking about the the Greek word. Actually, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word ikad. Uh, translates to binding together at the deepest level. And that was the first time sex is referenced in Genesis. This binding together at the deepest level, as you said, physical, emotional, mental, physiological, like every which way you can bond with another human. However, we have, you know, so many rappers and other singers like, uh, no big deal. Check up with whoever you want, whenever you want. But it's so, it's also so contradictory. The same exact people are saying, but it is a big deal. And that's all I talk about. And it's all I rap about. And it's all that's on the covers of my um, albums and stuff. So is it a big deal or isn't? And I think that we all know if we're honest with ourselves, that it's a much bigger deal than we talk about. Well, and if it's not a big deal, then why is the world just shocked if you say we're not having sex before marriage? Like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Why would, why would you not try this person out? How do you know it's? I'm like, but I thought it wasn't a big deal, so I thought it wouldn't matter. I thought it wasn't central to the relationship, and and so again, when you take out, we think that freedom means no parameters. We think that freedom means no guardrails, no no kind of laying out this is the right and good way and this is the way that will be more difficult for you. We think freedom means you've just cleared everything ahead of you and you can do whatever you want. But that is actually not true. Freedom yeah. freedom is is knowing um where restraint is necessary in order to actually lead to flourishing. I remember when I was uh headed off to to college. I'm the oldest of six kids. And I'm the only girl, so I have five younger brothers. 
So my dad, you know, had to just really win with me as the daughter because this was his one shot. And um, he's sending me off to college, probably terrified. And he said, you know, sweetie, there's there's two kinds of difficult. There's the short-term difficult and there's the long-term difficult. And when it comes to your relationships, you are free to do whatever you want. And you know, you're leaving our house. like So you can do what you want in the moment. You can do what feels good and it will be enjoyable for you. Uh, but long-term, it will probably make your life more difficult. Or you can postpone and say no to what you want in the moment for what you want long-term. You can think through how to navigate your relationships and set those parameters that you say, no, this is what it looks like to respect me and build towards health. And it'll be difficult. He said, you may not get as many dates. You, you might, you might uh, have a few more Friday nights at home, uh, but long-term it will be to your flourishing. And so for everybody listening, like whatever you pick, there's either a short-term difficult or a long-term difficult. It's not all easy all the time, and neither is it all hard all the time. I, I've heard that said, you're a thinking brain versus your feeling brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of that, but like it, it, a guy smells good, and he's saying the right things, and your feeling brain says, let's go home and get underneath the covers. But perhaps your thinking brain will be like, is this best for my long term? Mm-hmm. Is this kind of guy who I really want to spend my life with? Is this guy who I really want to see me undressed to on every level of my being and sometimes our thinking brain needs to have a sit down with our feeling brain <laughs> and you need to do that sit down before you are sitting down yes hi that's the thing yes. we forget it's like oh i should have that conversation with myself when i have nobody in front of me and i can be reasonable and rational and really say what is it that i'm looking for like how do i want to be treated in relationships what does it communicate to me if a guy's doing this or that if i lay out these guardrails and and he pushes them is that a man who just really wants me or is that a man who doesn't respect me and to be able to do that when you're not staring at them and your feeling brain is trying real hard to take the driver's seat yes because as you said Sex is a good thing. And if you are attracted to him and want to take articles of clothing off, that means you're healthy (laughs) and your home hormones are working. Um, And all of that's very good. And your feeling brain is important not to discard it, but a hundred percent, as you said, those decisions with your thinking brain need to be made before your feeling brain is yelling so loud. You can't hear anything else. And to have made decisions, you know, what are the things that'll set you up to, to have a better outcome? Like, uh, probably drinking heavily is not going to lead to the outcome that you want. Like uh, you just don't make good decisions when you're under the influence of alcohol or marijuana. Uh, you know, hanging out with a guy in the dark, it, watching a movie, laying down in your bed, and you're like, surely this will be fine. We're not going to go anywhere. I, I mean, you're kind of just like playing with fire in the sense that if that's not where you're trying to go, then you have to actually think 10 steps beforehand. And that's hard in a culture that tells us, go with whatever feels good right now to actually be thinking ahead for where we're trying to get. Yes. I always think uh, Andy Stanley says, what story do you want to tell? Mm. And, you know, looking back, say this is the guy you want to marry. (coughs) You can tell your kids like we were in the backseat of his car and we had some tequila shots and he was wearing my favorite cologne. Like, you know, I mean. What story do you want to tell? Because, uh, you know, I'm raising middle schoolers right now. And um, those are, I made decisions in my younger self that I'm not looking forward to those stories. And I, all our young friends right now are writing stories in their life. And yes, of course, stories can be rewritten. And there's always grace, 100%. um, But you're writing stories that you're going to tell one day. So you get the opportunity to write good stories. Well, and if you don't know where you're going, you will end up somewhere. I mean, they, the Cheshire Cat said that to Alice in Wonderland, right? Where do you want to go? And she said, I don't know. He said, then it doesn't matter which way you go because you will end up somewhere. Yeah. But we all ultimately want to write a story that is full of meaning and purpose. And good stories have valleys and they have drama and they have conflict. And, and so, you know, as you walk through those things and you make those decisions and later go, Mm, that was not my best. Don't despise the choice. Don't despise the mistake because that is part of the story that is being built for you, but don't do the same thing again. What what is that? Like 
insanity. Insanity. Yeah. (laughs) Like doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Like if you keep jumping into bed with guys and expecting that one of them is maybe going to finally be dating you and all the things that you wanted, it's not going to happen because you are doing it the way that really ultimately just leads to one night stands, maybe a few weeks or a few months. And so if you're not happy with where you're at in your relationships, take a beat to say, what is not working? And what am I ultimately trying to do? Someday, most of you will be wives and you will be moms. And this is a primarily female audience, right? Maybe yeah, there's, yeah. Maybe there's men, you'll be husbands. Um, but we don't think about that often in our 20s. That someday we're going to be raising up the next generation of women. And no matter where you're at in your story, no matter what has happened before today, you get to start new tomorrow. You get to begin again fresh. And as a follower of Christ, I believe that ultimately that is found in Jesus. And that's what's so life-giving is to know that my past mistakes do not determine what my future potential is. They, they color it in the sense that they add richness to it and I can grow from it, but you are never, you are never your worst decision. Amen. Amen. Say it louder. <laughs> I just get preaching. I'm a preacher's kid too. So it's really hard for me not to talk about Jesus because he's about the only, he is, he is the only hope in so many of these areas of our life that feel so dark and overwhelming, especially right now with where the world's at. It can feel pretty heavy. Like how do we even move out of this? How do we begin to build relationships uh, in a culture that has kind of blown up what we knew worked and now is left with that? And yet into all of it, I always say, well, Jesus, Jesus could come in and and do a new work unlike anything you would have expected. I cannot tell you how many young women have reached out to me over the years and especially recently saying, I want to speak on stages. I want to have a podcast. I want to write a book and girlfriend, I want to help you. There is room for you at the table. I want to help you not waste time learning about an email list and how to get published and the tech that you need for a podcast. There's so much that I have learned along the way that I want to help you go further and faster. So I'm starting a mastermind group that opens April 10th. All the information you will need is right under here in the show notes. Make sure you get in before it's too late. There's a limited seating, but I'm so excited about this opportunity. Doors close April 10th. Make sure you check out the information. You can unwind on a Friday night without the alcohol. I am so excited to partner with Curious Elixirs. These are booze-free cocktails shipped to you already mixed and ready to go in these super cute bottles. Side note, the pomegranate is delicious. And Truth For Your 20s listeners get to save $10 off a purchase of $50 or more with promo code Katie 22 But if you're driving or on the treadmill and can't write that down right now, no worries. Enjoy the rest of this episode and then check the links after you're done. You can simply scroll up on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening and there'll be a handy little link right there for you to check out Curious Elixirs. Shaken, not slurred. I have found when I'm trying to talk about healthy relationships, I'm doing a disservice to whoever's listening if I don't talk about Jesus and the way we're created and how faith, you know, a lot of times you might see at weddings, they do the the braiding of um, husband, wife, and God, because it, it truly is unfair for me to try and talk about having a healthy relationship and leave Jesus out of it. So I, I think that it's really important as we have this conversation about God who invented sex. Let's talk about that. You know, I mean, there's a lot of animals who make babies and it's not this soul tie. It's not this enjoyable. It's, you know, it's just for the purpose of making offspring, but humans made in the image of God. He gave us this gift. Like, yeah, talk about that. Well, he could have done it any number of ways. I think that's what we, we, we think like, there's only this. No, God could have been like, put your elbow in her armpit and boom, baby, (laughs) done. Like it can just be a functional thing. And he did not do that. He was like, hmm, guess what? We're not only going to make this functional to provide children, very helpful, but also we're going to make it enjoyable. And here's the thing that's a lot of times not talked about is that, you know, for women, we have a part on our body that is just for sexual pleasure. And so God created a woman to enjoy the sexual experience with her husband uh, and not just to be like, oh, it's just so she can have babies. And that to me is such a 
like statement on how much God is for women. And from yeah. the very beginning, he was not embarrassed by naked bodies. If you look at the book of Genesis, you know, and he, he made Adam and Eve and it says, and they were in the garden and they were naked. The next verse doesn't say, and God was so uncomfortable. Like, no, no, <laughs> no one was ashamed. And then sin enters the world. And you have brokenness of relationship, brokenness of relationship between Adam and Eve, and also brokenness of relationship between people and God. And the rest of scripture is about God pursuing his people and redeeming them, including redeeming this gift of sex and sexuality. And there's plenty of examples in the Bible of how people have screwed it up. No pun intended. But I think what you also see consistently throughout that is that God continues to give us good things. And he created sex to be enjoyed frequently, uh, mutually, you know, again, within marriage, because he's for our flourishing, because we see what is happening in culture. When you take it outside of marriage, you have rising rates of, of single parents and kids raised in single parent homes have a higher likelihood of not graduating high school, of ending up in poverty, uh, of, of criminal records. You know, So it doesn't contribute to the good of those children. It doesn't contribute to the good of that mom or that dad. It's harder for women to advance when you're trying to raise kids and be the breadwinner. You know, One of the, the gifts to women, actually, uh, who are raising children is to be in a healthy marriage because Together, you actually lift each other up to go further uh, professionally and personally than you would by yourself. And so there's a reason that God packages all this together as this great gift. And for us to be excited, even, you know, in your teen years, in your 20s, for what God has prepared for you. But it's it's so good that it's a not yet. Yeah. I think that, you know, family is everything. Mm -hmm. And when families crumble, eventually societies crumble. I mean, uh, we need each other and that is how babies are raised and grow up and learn what a healthy relationship means themselves to, and then, you know, people perform better at work. People are, um, the Harvard happiness study shows that long-term committed healthy relationships are the key to happiness. And yet (laughs) our society is saying so many different things. A quote I love that is perhaps controversial I love your feedback on it. Yes, love controversial quotes. Bring it. The best thing you can give your kids is a good marriage. Mm. Why is that controversial? I don't think it should be, but <laughs> I, I mean, I come from a divorced family and, you know, my husband does too. And I think that there are, there are divorcees out there who are like, they love their kids, of, of course, you know, and they're trying to do their best, but we have this, we have broken homes and just trying to, we're talking to a bunch of young people, obviously, usually most of them are um, not divorced. What does it mean to have and create a healthy marriage before it even starts? Mm. I think probably why that, that quote is controversial is because it is um, one convicting in a culture. Yeah. And I think even in the church where we have said, it's not that big a deal if you divorce. And yet I think people who have divorced would say, no, it actually was a big deal. Yeah, Nobody gets married envisioning that their marriage will one day end in divorce. Right. I don't know a single person that's like, this is my starter marriage and then I'm going to have a real marriage. Yeah. Um, and so it, I think it's also people in their own pain think, oh, so you're saying what I'm giving my kids is less than. Right. Well, on one hand, I think you would agree, like given the choice, would you rather be a divorced parent or, or a parent in a married, healthy relationship? I don't, I don't think there's any question. But also, as in all things, God steps into our brokenness and God steps into those areas where we lack Uh, You know, and as a parent, I lack a lot. And I'm so grateful that God steps into that and can redeem and restore and and make up for what we are not able to offer our kids for any number of reasons. And and we should always, as a church and as a culture, be promoting and encouraging and strengthening the best model, even as we know there's not it's not going to be the case for everybody. But that doesn't mean we still don't put that forward as this is the best standard for our children. So how do you build a healthy marriage before? Well, one, you can't think of sex as just like divided into, I don't have it before I'm married and I have it after I'm married. Because here's something that will surprise you when you get married. Everybody doesn't get uglier. 
shockingly, like you marry your spouse, you think now I'm going to be attracted to no one. And actually, everybody weirdly sometimes gets more attractive. You're like, what? What is happening here? And so to realize your sexuality is a whole lifetime. It has different seasons, but you have to learn before marriage how to uh, express your sexuality, how to do that in relationship in a way that is healthy and, and life-giving to both people involved. And so before marriage, it's one way. And then after marriage, it's another way. And then if you have kids, you know, if you, if you birth those children, it's another way, or you adopt those kids, dynamics change. And so as a young person in your teens or your twenties, thinking through what kind of a story do I want around my sexuality and the habits you create now in your twenties will carry you into your future. Because abstinence is not just about, I just don't have sex now. And then someday I get to go gangbusters. <laughs> <laughs> abstinence is really a mentality of saying, how am I living out the fact that God has made me a woman? What does it look like to express my femininity? What does it look like to be a woman who embraces that she is a sexual being? So like you pointed out, we don't shut down and say, I have no sexual attraction. Well, that's not really healthy. Uh, but also, how do we say, how do I do this in a way that contributes to the flourishing of my own life and also the people around me? You know, when I was dating, one of my standards was always, I want to leave this man better than when I found him. Yes. So there's, there's, there's some men out there that now know to open the door and walk on the outside of the street because I was in their life temporarily. <laughs> and none of them am I embarrassed to run into. Right. Because I know that I left them hopefully a little bit better and they left me a little bit better, whether they reflected back to me some things that, ooh, OK, I need to hear that truth uh, or they encouraged me in, in some way. And so I didn't have to have sex with them to still be able to express my femininity and my sexuality um, as a being who this is how God has made me and coming up with those habits of what are those guardrails? How do you guard your heart in a way that doesn't shut it down? but also um, allows you to connect with men in a way that's healthy. I think we've lost that as a society. Like how do you have friendship and uh, both with women, with men, you know, and how do you go about just presenting yourself to the world? Who is it that you are trying to be? And that won't really change just because you got married. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Gosling still pretty hot to me. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, I'll watch a movie with my husband. I'll be like, he is a. Tra- we were watching 10 Things I Hate About You. And he's just so cute, even with his terrible perm. But I was like, he's a cute guy. Yeah. It's fine. It's like, we're not saying, like, you don't have to go around and be like, everybody is the ugliest person ever because your spouse knows that that's not true. Right. And yet there is a distinction between being able to say, like, that is an attractive person versus I am now dwelling on thoughts about this person. I'm going to fantasize. I'm gonna- and so learning at any point to say, how can I appreciate the beauty that God has created without objectifying the individual? That's why pornography yeah. is so destructive um, at any point in your life because it dehumanizes a person and it causes you to really dehumanize um, in your own heart the way you see people in general and to consume versus approaching sexuality and sex as, as something that can be a gift to give and mutually receive. Yeah, we had a conversation uh, about porn not too recently. That bad boy got way more downloads than an average podcast episode. It was very was well. Was the new drug, right? Uh, it was the one actually right before then. Um, the, mm-hmm. Yes, that one did well too. But um, an interview with Cassie, who uh, a female, a young girl, she's actually 20, sharing her struggle with, with porn. Because you don't hear it from the female perspective oh. so much. But um, yeah, it was, it was it was good to shed a light on that. But yeah, fight the new drug and Cassie's saying the same thing. It's it's objectifying humans, and again, going back to cheapening this mm-hmm. expensive, beautiful, luxurious like gift called sex that we um, have so confused. And you're and you're right too. If it's not a big deal, culture. If we even just take apart some of the things that culture is telling us, it is so contradictory and wrong. <laughs> Makes no sense. It, it makes zero sense. But that is what happens when you remove standards and try to make everything acceptable. Yeah. I mean, we, we will have a separate rant on the fact that in the name of female empowerment, women are getting erased because what it is to be yeah. a woman is being redefined. Or in the name of female empowerment, women are told, hey, you know what? You should probably abort your child so that you can advance because we don't think you're strong enough. Nobody ever says that to men. 
Nobody ever says, oh, we don't think you can do school and a job and raise kids. No, they, they figure men can do it all. Uh, guess what? I've met a lot of women who have done really hard things. Women do hard things. We yeah. are tough. Uh, but that's not what society is telling women. And so to be a woman right now is to be in this place where, I mean, we, we are being erased. I'm raising four daughters and it is stunning to me to think that they're going to walk into a future that can't define what it is to be a woman that doesn't actually celebrate their uniqueness as a woman distinct from men, not in competition, but complementary that they're walking into a future that says anybody can be a woman. It's not that big a deal. I'm like, Oh, it's a real big deal. Actually. Yeah. It's a very big deal. And so we, as women have to every day fight to define that uh, first for ourselves and then, and then for our communities and our society. I'm thinking about 12 rabbit holes that I want to go down with you (laughs) and make this a four hour long podcast. Um, but I, I'm going to choose one. Um, Let's talk about how much Jesus loved women and how in the Bible, Done. he was a straight up rebel and he talked to all the outcasts. And my favorite story is a woman at the well whose name isn't recorded. I guarantee you that Jesus took, called her by name, but the people who wrote that down didn't think it was important. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he was the first one to be like, no, her voice matters. Yes. Her voice matters. Then you see the woman who, you know, when he's on his way to go save Jairus's daughter, also a little girl. And that woman reaches out and just touches him. He could have kept walking. Yeah. Okay. He, he, he could have been like healed moving on, but he didn't, he stopped and he acknowledged her and he acknowledged her for her faith, which is so beautiful that she probably for what was it? 10, 12 years had really just been defined by this illness that she had this bleeding that wouldn't stop. I mean, how many of us, like when you're not feeling well, that's all people ask, like, how are you doing? Are you, could you please just stop asking me how I'm doing? Right. Yeah. And, and yet for her, she'd probably been defined as the woman in the community, like that lady struggling. And yet Jesus redefined her as a woman of faith. And so not only did she lose her old identity, she gained a new one, which is what happens when we walk into relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, you know, Joanna is a name of one of the people, women that followed him. So I'm a little biased. You see that in Luke. But he had women that traveled with him in his ministry. He he called them by name. He singled them out. And when he resurrected, who was the first person he appeared to? The women. The women. He was like, go, get the word out. Because he knew women would get the word out. He's like, we too, I, just, yeah, we're I tell two and all of Israel will know. We'll be good. It'll be great. And And I love that, that he would come and he would call Mary uh, by her name, he would say her name in a way that she knew, and I believe that that is Christ's heart for each of us. That he he says our name, he calls us by name, not as just a woman, but specifically who he created us to be. One of my favorite names for God is actually back in the Old Testament, um, but it's the story of Hagar with Abraham and Sarah. And for those of you that don't know the story, poor Hagar got the short end of the deal um, because. Abraham and Sarah hadn't had a child yet and they'd been promised. And so in their infinite manly female wisdom, they thought, well, we'll just get a substitute and this gal will have a kid and it'll be fine. Well, they end up banishing her and she like gets kicked out of the tribe and she's got this son and they're in the desert and it's not going well. And she's crying. She's crying. She's like, my kid's going to die. I'm going to die right over there. And God appears to her and says, I see you. And this is what's going to happen to your son. And he's going to be the leader of many nations. And she calls God. El Roy, the God who sees. And for me, as a woman in a society that is erasing women, that is so powerful. God sees us. God sees you right now, listener. He sees you. He sees you in your dorm room. He sees you in your car. He sees you uh, when you're crying your eyes out. He sees you in your greatest moments. God sees you because he made you um, intentionally to be a woman. In Genesis, you know, God does those seven days of creation. Every day he's like, and it was good, and it was good, and it was, and then he makes women, and it was very good, very good. In other words, we are the crowning achievement on creation. <laughs> Finale. Not, the- I mean, he was like, I'm done. I made what? I got nothing else to make. You, you don't top this. And he dropped the mic. <laughs> he did. He was like, now I'm going to take a break. We're done. We're good. And I love that. And and it's not to say we're better than men. I have five brothers. Men have made a huge influence in my life. And so I'm grateful for men. But never forget that God intentionally made you a woman. And he made you a woman in this time 
to live out that femininity and to glorify God through the fact that you are a female. You are not a male. And that was purposeful. And you see it later in the, in the New Testament and, you know, in the fact that like the way Paul writes his letters, he wrote, he acknowledged women repeatedly in his ministry. Priscilla and Aquila, they're equals. They're husband and wife couple. Priscilla is the woman. She is often listed first. How interesting is that, right? Philippians is written uh, to, to the church in Philippi that was started by a woman, Lydia. So ladies, you have a role to play in the history that God is writing. Oh, I'm over here nodding my head so much. I'm afraid I might. Um, I ain't going, it's like a fire hose. I hope y'all are catching all this. I'm just jamming real fast. Stay with me. <laughs> no, it's so good. I just, I want to say, because I didn't know this when I was 20 something in the, in the days that Jesus walked the earth, like women were, were not even close mm-hmm. to being equals. They could not vote. Um, if they were not married, you could not own property. Like you had to have a husband to be anything. If they could walk by and be front row seat to see a murder, didn't matter. Their testimony didn't matter in court because it's just a woman. Um, they were a lot of times seen as property. Let me just get a few women because, um, just trade him out as if you trade out land deeds. They were not valued, but Jesus husband walked could on beat, the earth. A husband could beat his wife with a stick as long as it was no bigger than his thumb. Like what? Lovely. What? Lovely. Yeah. And Jesus was like, yeah, no, um, actually I made these beautiful mm-hmm. creations and yeah. we are not going to do this anymore. Yeah. In it, if you were wondering who God made you to be like dive into scripture. Yeah. And and even, you know, when we're talking about sex, again, there's oftentimes well-intentioned people that come from the church, but they don't always get it right, which is why it's yeah. so important that you yourself are reading your Bible yeah. and and praying and asking, okay, give me insight on this. And every time I come to the word of God, it offers something new and it speaks to who I am and who I was made to be. A lot of times as Christian women, we look at Proverbs 31 and we think, oh, we hate this woman. Hate this woman. It's the worst standard of a woman. It's all the things that you can't be. But as I have read that, what I realize is it's actually very freeing because it's not saying you have to be all these things at once. But what it is saying is that as a woman, we are multifaceted. We are not just people who work uh, in terms of paying work in the marketplace. We are not just uh, people who birth children. We're not just people who run a home. We are any number of things, uh, business savvy, entrepreneurial, uh, financially responsible, visionaries, homemakers, you know, raisers of the next generation. And you see that. And I think as women to be encouraged by that, that as you grow, you will continue to, to find different facets of who God made you to be as a woman. Yeah. And through your lifetime, you know, Proverbs 31 woman, Mm -hmm. not at 20 and at 40 and at 60, oh. like, but your whole life. Yeah. No, your twenties. I thought, Oh, this is it. I got to get it all done now. And now I'm not in my twenties and I'm in my thirties and I just realized, Oh, thirties are so much more fun. And forties, I'm sure are going to be great. And then fifties. Cause I'll be like, I don't even care what y'all think anymore. I'm <laughs> in my fifties. So I think with every season, if you can say this is good and I don't know everything, but I know a little bit more than I did, you know, think about when you were a teenager and now you're in your twenties, how glad are we that we're like out of that season and you will just keep growing and finding new things to enjoy. And, and life is just so full and so fun. And I don't think there's any reason any of us should ever be bored. <laughs> yeah. Right. And such a, I actually just interviewed someone yesterday who was talking about, uh, I always ask, you know, what could you tell your 20 year old self? And basically the same thing that like, mm-hmm. you kind of thought you had to have the pinnacle of life in your twenties and, and have it all, but you have a lifetime yes. and, and not to say that, you know, see the day and all that for sure, but, um, just not have so much pressure to be all the things in, in one season of life. I think too, to tell my 20 year old self, like you, you don't have to make it tomorrow. In fact, if you did, it would it'd be terrible for you. You'll fall flat on your face. Yeah. Um, and so just relax in and rest in the learning of every day. You're getting a little bit better. And now to be able to look back and go, Oh, it took 10 years in some area. Like, I'm talking about sex now because I've had 15 years of talking about it. And I can confidently stay in this place. Me in my 20s, when I first started talking about it, a lot more uncomfortable, right? And you and you grow and develop. And so to be able to have grace for yourself, okay, I, there's a dream in my heart. I'm going to pursue it. But I'm probably not going to become an overnight success. And that's okay. That's actually yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a quote that says, uh, it takes 10 years to become an overnight yes. success. <laughs> yes. We think in an age of Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, people just wake up one morning and they have 100 million followers and life is easy. And that's not true to life. Because you didn't see the grind, the 10 years of grind they've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, okay. What would you tell people? Um, okay. You, you say some good points, Joanna. Like, I, I love this idea of my sexuality, you know, who I am, who God created me, me to be. And, and this beautiful idea of sex that I didn't know that wasn't ever taught to me. What resources, where do they start? Where's some good starting points to kind of dive into this more? Great. Uh, well, of course, there's my website, joannahyatt.com. Yeah. And I have there, I'll send you the link and we can put it in the show notes. Um, but a free download for four young women on how do we begin to shift our thinking and understand that it might be a process for you. And that's okay. It's a, it's a time of learning. And then a new book that I'm reading right now, actually, I'm really enjoying. It's more for married couples, but I highly recommend it for women is this idea called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregoire. And she surveyed, I think it was 22,000 women, Christian women, to understand where did some of our uh, misguided thinking about sexuality come from um, for people of faith? And how do we restore that scripturally. And I am not through the book yet. So, you know, maybe chapter 12, will have some bomb that I'm like, Oh, I don't agree with that. But so <laughs> far, so far it's, it's speaking to the same things. And for you as you know, young women to look ahead to say, okay, you know, I need to start shifting my thinking now so that when I get into marriage, I've done a lot of the work. I'm not, and, and I'm also looking for somebody who understands this perspective of sexuality that realizes it's not just a taking, it's not just physical, uh, but it, it is a holistic uh, approach that really is about the mutual enjoyment and blessing of, of each other and, and spouses. So those are two places I would go. And, you know, I, I would say too, it's interesting how limited these conversations often are uh, because I think it's, a little scary for people to be able to stand in that place where you say something is really good and yet we're not going to do it. It's a lot easier to say, never, 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 never. It's terrible. It's awful. Don't think about it. It's wonderful. Uh, Or the world's way, like, it's always good. It's fine. And so for you to dive into scripture and say, what does the word of God have to say? Listen to podcasts like this, you know, listen to Katie on a regular basis, go check out her Instagram because I know she's talking about these things and then ask those questions. Uh, find those people you trust to say, can you help me unravel this and help me weigh out a little bit? When I look at the world, is it working and and are the results there? And if not, what might need to be different? You don't have to take my word for it. Just like look at the life of your friends and determine if, if they're getting what they are hoping for in the way that they're living. Oh, amen to that. Yes. And, And as you said, you know, it's okay to not know everything. You certainly aren't supposed to know everything in your 20s or ever. We should be on a lifelong journey of learning. But yeah, diving in and, and trying to uh, to find out what yourself, because God isn't quiet about uh, sex, sexuality, how you're created, how this is designed. And, and certainly as it relates to marriage, I think marriage is a God-given gift and um, he wants good and uh, for you and your spouse. Well, and I think there are two decisions that every person will have to make in their life that are the most uh, impactful decisions. The, the first is who is Jesus Christ? And what are you going to do with that? And the second is your sexuality, because you can have any number of jobs and still have a good life in terms of like, still be happy and healthy, whatever you could be a janitor, right? But how you approach your sexuality and the way that you interact with people, because it touches us to such a soul level has massive impact um, for both our happiness and our flourishing and, and also the health of our future relationships. You can be in a nothing job. And if you have great relationships, you're fine. You can be in a great job. And if your relationships are a mess, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You hate your life. And how do I know this? Because we look at those people who are celebrities and we think they've got everything. And then you watch their relationships imploding. You realize that they, no, it's not, it's, it's miserable. All the money in the world, all the fame, all the followers, um, ultimately isn't what makes um, a life that is worth living. And so resolving who is Jesus, will I give my life to him? And then what will I do with the sexuality that is entwined into who I am and central to future relationships? Would you say who is Jesus and what will I do with my sexuality? And then one line that I didn't come up this time is I always say there's no condom for your heart. 
Oh, girl. Yes. It's so true. It's so true. And that is, gets me frustrated with the world's conversation too. Like, yeah. oh, it's fine. It doesn't count, you know, if you use a condom or whatever. And I'm like, it totally does. Yeah. Your heart. Yes. You're like, what? That's ridiculous. Like the best thing is as long as you don't get pregnant or get an STD, it's fine. Then why do we have six out of 10 teenagers regretting their first sexual experience? Why do we have sexually active boys, you know, seven, is it, no, four times more likely? No, seven times more likely. Sexually active teen boys are seven times more likely to um, have attempted suicide or be depressed. Like why? Why do we have statistics that show us that sex does matter on an emotional, physiological level? Oh, I have so much to say. I, I mean, just on social media, like I'll say TikToks about like why why what we're talking about, why sex is this higher view and why it should be important. Oh no, it's not. It's not a big deal, whatever, whatever. The same exact day, this sweet girl posted this video of her crying. This is totally unrelated to me crying. I can't believe I gave him my virginity. I had like five people tag me on this. It's okay, honey. You're going to be okay. I know it hurts. We know it hurts. This video is showing how broken she is. And people in my comments are saying, whatever, it doesn't matter. Sex is no strings attached fun. Y'all are being controversial. Like, I don't even have to say anything. You're, you're proving what a bunch of idiots you are right here. You're just trying to justify what you know is not healthy. Yeah. Because if you were honest and said it does matter, then you would have to face your past decisions. Right. And, and because the world does not have a way for grace or redemption apart from Christ, you have no way to move beyond your brokenness. So it's, I mean, it's like abortion, right? It's like shout your abortion. We got to be proud about the fact that we have killed our children because if we had all acknowledged this is a separate human life, then we have to face that. And then we know the grief, grief will be heavy. And yet how many people are working in the pro-life movement who had previously had an abortion because God redeems the broken pieces of our heart. Yes. Preach. So I could preach all day long. Uh, I, I, know. Know. I was like, sound bite. Keep doing a sound bite. It's not a sound bite. <laughs> it's okay. I know. I'm a, like some people are like, well, where's your, where's your article? I'm like, I can give you 50 different articles from all the smartest psychologists, but if it means you have to change your lifestyle, would you listen to me? You know? Yeah. And I think that that's ultimately the question that we have to face. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, anyways, girl, in effort to not make this three hours, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for this conversation. Um, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast and as we talked about, I also want you to hear, sweet listener, there's always grace. There's always grace for a new beginning. Um, please know that we love you. We want to help you have your best sexual future. We know that there, um, you are so beautifully and uniquely created. And we just want you to, um, as mothers of daughters, both of us, yes. we just love you and we want so good for you. And we've, um, walk through some crap and want to help you avoid it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Do not, do not hear condemnation today. Amen. Do not. Amen. (sighs) Joanna, you're my favorite. All the links to all of your stuff is going to be on the show notes. And I'm so thankful for this conversation. Thank you. This was a blast. Hope to be back. While you were listening to this episode, if you're thinking, man, I really wish my roommate or best friend or boyfriend could listen to this. Well, sharing is caring, my friend. Take a screenshot and text this over or better yet, share it to social media. If you tag me at Katie Blumer Life, I will give you all the Instagram love. Make sure to scroll up to see the show notes on today's episode for all the links on all the good stuff. Hey, thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I appreciate it more than you know. And I hope today you gain some truths for your 20s.